0: Welcome to the WeGo Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story of the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgiev, class of 2022. Today, I catch up with class of 2011's Justin Malandrucolo, developer relations engineer at Google. Justin will share with us how he pivoted twice in undergrad and eventually caught fire in app development and now works for one of the most prolific tech companies in the world, Google. Joining us from the class of 2011 is Justin Malandrucolo. Justin, what do you do?
1: Hey, Mr. T. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so what I do these days is I am a developer relations engineer at Google, living in New York City. So, Justin, let's let's start from the beginning. Did you always know that you were going to maybe pursue a career in technology? Really? No, not at all. I came into college as a film major. So it was quite a transition from where I am now to where I started. Really started in high school, actually, even taking uh, Mr. Jennings broadcasting class. And I thought I did pretty well at that. And I was like, all right, I want to keep doing that. Um, so that's kind of how I got started into my journey to where I am now. So what what was the, the kind
0: of invitation to leave film studies and filmmaking to to kind of go into uh this new field
1: yeah so coming into college i enjoyed the hands-on approach that we had in mr jennings broadcasting class actually going out and filming content Then getting into college it was like you were saying film studies so i was basically just watching movies and learning about technique which was not really something that i enjoyed um mm-hmm. As much, so I thought I would pivot to one semester in, and then I decided to switch majors to atmospheric sciences, which is just a fancy word for being a weatherman. So that was another idea or another outlet that I always enjoyed growing up. I'd watch the Weather Channel as a kid instead of you know watching cartoon content on television. I'd watch the Weather Channel. Weather on the eight was routine TV for me growing up, so I wanted to continue that pursuit. So I switched. Um, major is to try and become a weatherman, but that was also not something that I do currently because it involves chemistry, mathematics, and physics, and those are three things that I'm not good at. <laughs> so yet again, another pivot. So uh, so yeah. this, I, I, this, is a, this
0: is a kind of cool story, right? So you start with film, then you go to atmospherics, and then you have one more leap after that maybe. So what, 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 what brought you to the next stage then?
1: Yeah, so the transition to kind of software engineering technology all began around my junior year of college because I knew I, like, once I knew that weather was not the, you know, the plan for me, it was too late to switch majors again. So I was like, okay, how do I at least come out of college with some sort of experience? So I applied to a weather company on campus at the University of Illinois that needed a mobile app. So they had an Android app and they were sending out applications to students for anyone who wanted to build an iOS application. And I kind of just raised my hand and said, I'll do it, knowing that I didn't have really any educational experience. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to go ahead and get some work experience. So I applied and they were like, sure, we like your enthusiasm, why don't you come on and work for the summer. So I did that full time in the summer of my junior year, built an iOS app from scratch. Uh, mimicking the Android app. And that was my first real experience in the software engineering. And I really was thinking, okay, this was fun. I enjoyed this. I'm going to do more of the software engineering aspect and less of the weather aspect. So that was my introduction into what I do today. Justin, can you describe like the learning
0: curve? So did you, you jumped into this with zero coding or uh, app building experience before and you were able like, so walk me through how you were able to kind of go from like volunteering to now, you know, it really sophisticated design. What was that learning curve like? Yeah. So that
1: was, yeah, quite a leap because in weather forecasting and weather there is some programming that's involved, but it's just like basic uh, MATLAB working with numbers and just taking data and putting it into a graph. So it's very rudimentary introductory languages and it's languages that are not used in modern programming. Weather forecasting is uh, using pretty old languages that have been used for decades. So working with iPhones and iOS was a lot of modern technology and working with a screen that you can design. So working the creative um and working the you know, kind of software aspect of code was definitely a jump. So that was something that I had to kind of really dig deep into with YouTube articles Apple has a lot of resources that you can use to get better. Also, my older brother was definitely very helpful because he was um, at the time working at Facebook and I would reach out to him a lot and he would get on web calls with me and kind of walk me through or kind of say like, check this out or just give me guidance because that was something that by myself, there'd be no way I'd get that done in the span of three months. So I definitely had to lean on a lot of other people to help me. out. So I was very fortunate to have that that in my um in my tool chest. Yeah, no, I, I love that
0: that you know you would look to like what was already there, like other uh, way YouTube, obviously leaning on the resource of the, those closest to you that were able to uh to do yeah. that. Did you did you find that the how much autonomy did you have in the design of this app?
1: I had a I so I had a say in it because the Android interface compared to the iOS interface are two totally different platforms. There are things that work for Android that don't work on iOS so really, it was a lot of freedom for me because the people I was working with at the um, at the Midwest Regional Climate Center, they're mostly focused on weather. They wanted to build this app. And this weather app was basically a weather all And basically the gist of it was to check what the weather was like when you were born on your birthday and special dates. So it's an app with a oh, map cool. and shows like the closest locations to you. And you can navigate in this map, click on pins and it pulls up weather stations shows you what the weather was yesterday is the default and you could search like through the dates and then it'll pull up what the weather was on that day. So that was the app that um, I worked on. So the main thing was making sure that it functions the same however it looked could be really up to my control as long as it was within the Apple's design guidelines. So that was kind of my first introduction to working the creative part of my brain on a mobile app as well as you know making sure that it actually works.
0: Out of curiosity, does the app still look like the way you designed it, or has it been completely yeah. rehauled? Because I would imagine it'd be kind of like a a proud papa type of thing. Like, what is what's that old app doing right now? And kind of seeing what's happening there. Have you gone back to see like if it's evolved or adapted in any significant way?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's like a time capsule now. I still have it on my iPhone. I don't know. I don't even know if it's on the App Store anymore. I don't know if they'll ah. redirect you at all. But it's not, yeah. It doesn't like because it was built for like iPhone five, and now we're on like iPhone fourteen. It's definitely laid out in a way that looks completely disgusting. But it's something to me that I'll always cherish, and it still works. So I definitely always still <laughs> the nice. pump. Yeah, like I just want to see, like, oh, it rained a lot yesterday. How much did it actually rain? So it still actually does something. But yeah, that's like my way of like staying humble. Of like, okay, yeah, this is this is definitely not something that I would build today but it did, it's good because that you know it reminds me where I came from that sounds like that must have been such an amazing
0: experience like not only did it allow you this successful pivot to this new thing that you're doing now um but you know you it it, it just it, it was just so much confidence in and that you, you were able to have such a foothold kind of moving forward with that what did you do next after that what an incredible uh internship experience you had what did you do after that
1: yeah, so it's definitely riding the momentum off that. So that was great as a college student to put on my resume. Hey, I have an app in the app store. Just check that out. Take take that. Nice. You know, we're not doing, yeah, we're not doing like theory of computer science, which, you know, on paper is great. But hey, I had this thing in my pocket. Download an app, look at it for yourself. So I had that advantage going for me. So the next summer, I had another internship because um, during the school year, I would I took a couple of intro computer science courses, and so those were uh, not well either. Because in uh, my internship, I was working with Objective C, which is iOS language, and in University of Illinois the intro to computer science courses Java, and I was already just like on the wrong foot with that because I really enjoyed the iOS language, and Java is much more difficult. So that to me was just like learning a different language. So that didn't go great. So I was like, okay, we're not even gonna do well with these minor courses. Let's do, Let's just try and get another internship and just kind of bank out some internships. So I applied through my spring semester of 2015 and happened to get a, another internship at a company in Chicago where I was part of a, um, like a six person team and I was building another mobile app. So by the end of that internship, was another mobile app on the app store. So by the time I graduated college, I had two mobile apps on my resume. So that was really just my sole focus, just get an internship where I can build an app because otherwise they're not going to be like jobs. Companies are not going to be looking for someone with my experience.
0: Just so I can get my mind around this for curiosity's sake, what? how would you describe the difference between java and the kind of ios language that you're using because you said like you it was tough to kind of get started on java was that because you just yeah. didn't start with java and you were just fell into the logic of the ios language and like what what's the what's a good comparison between like the type of ways in which like they are um they they're used uh,
1: in in your field yeah, let me try and break this down. So iOS, in general, is a lot more user-friendly. It's very—it's a very high-level language, meaning that there's a lot going on behind the scenes that you don't even have to think about, like in terms of keeping track of all the data or keeping track of um, these objects of memory that if they're released from memory your app will crash and that's not a good user experience but for ios you don't have to think about that they do it all for you it's very hand wavy a lot of things that apple just does for you to make developers lives easier so it's easier to get going but it's tougher to master where at java it's harder to get going and I guess, you know, harder to master as well. But Java, there's a lot more to think <laughs> about. And I guess that's why they teach it in introductory classes, because it actually gives you the proper fundamentals. So yeah. I actually, I would say I did it backwards, where I, w- I would not recommend doing what I did. I would start with the fundamentals because it sets you on the right foot. Because there was things that I took for granted with iOS that Java, it's like, oh, I guess not all just do that. Where that's, that was not the case for Java. So that's... That's pretty cool that like by the time
0: you graduated, if I heard you correctly, that you had two apps that were available through Apple, uh, by the time yeah. you graduated. And and these weren't like things like where, you know, it was like, you know, what kind of like these were complicated where you you you're harmonizing Datasets and and all that. What was the function of the second app? I, did, I didn't I, I forgot what if we what you said about that. What what was that?
1: Yeah, that? that one I slightly glossed over because that one is no longer in the app store. So rest in peace to uh, understudy. That was the name of my uh, other app. That was a app that we would um, send to uh, people who came in for surveys because I worked for a company that was doing online marketing called undertone they you work with advertising and they send out uh, or they bring in people and then ask them questions about uh, certain ads or just like trying to get user feedback in person and then we'll send them a survey in this app in this app and then we uh save their feedback and then we'll you know send them some sort of uh, perk for filling it out so that was kind of our way to see how users responded to certain things in a in a mobile app uh, environment it must be so incredible to be able to get
0: that feedback immediately uh and and to make it actionable after that point with with all that just as opposed to like the way old surveys were where you had to kind of work your way through it amazing uh, how lightning quick that would would be so you, you you graduate and did was the yeah. how, how was the world just really easy to then kind of uh, find a new job now that you had this under your belt or what was the the job prospects for you once you graduated with uh, with this experience?
1: Yeah, so it wasn't actually that easy. It was actually something that took uh, a lot of work. So I graduated in May, didn't get my first job till August. So it was like you know most people or at least you know people that was. Um, You know, my friends, they all had jobs coming out of college. So I was like, all right, cool. Good for you. So I had to actually like really actually be stressed out my senior year of college instead of actually trying, like, you know, go out for one last hurrah. I was actually just like, oh, crap. How am I going to get a job? I need a job. How am I going to get a job? So basically my thought process was um, start applying anywhere and everywhere. So I had, so like coming out of U of I, you know, the pipelines usually go from U of I to Chicago and, you know, stay close to family. For me, I was like, I don't want to limit myself. I will apply to anywhere and everywhere. So um yeah, and that was also difficult because the interview questions are a lot of uh fundamental computer science questions coming out of college. So that was something that I was like struggling with because um that was not my expertise. I was more so just like, here, I can build you a mobile app, I can get it done, but just don't ask me how to like reverse. A binary tree or things that just won't get done in the day-to-day work but they asked this in interviews just to see how you think so for me that was something i had to get used to so come august 2016 i interviewed for a company in pittsburgh called Yinscam, and they were a uh, mobile app company that built apps for sports teams so that was something that i definitely gravitated towards being a sports fanatic so that was actually a match made in heaven. So my first job, yeah, I lived in Pittsburgh and worked uh, worked there for about two and a half years. What, what what did the app do uniquely with sports photography or
0: sports video and imagery?
1: Yeah, so this was yeah, Yinskim is definitely a punny name because in Pittsburgh, the the you know local Pittsburgh is called Yinzer. so that was definitely yeah. something where. <laughs> Yeah, very cute. So there it was a so to describe this, what they did, they basically built apps for every sports team that you can think of, like NFL, NBA, NHL, uh, La Liga. And that was basically a whitelisted app where the code was the same, but there were certain one off features for certain teams that wanted particular features. But like the colors, logos would be unique to a specific team, but the apps look and feel would more or less feel the same. So, like, if you were to download the Chicago Bears app and the Green Bay Packers app on the App Store right now, both those apps are kind of a similar-looking app, and that's coming from Yin's Cam, where there's not, like, a Yin's Cam app on the App Store. There's just apps that are powered by Yin's Cam that are those teams' apps. Just out of curiosity,
0: does every NFL team... Must they go through Yin's cam or is it, do they still have some type of options? They like, no, we're going to go with this. Uh, is it like a, an edict from NFL that everyone uses the same app or is it up to the actual franchise themselves? If you know, just out of curiosity, I, I have not the Bears app in my phone. I'm curious.
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. Definitely, won't notice it if you're only a fan of the Bears. Yeah, so that's something that yeah, I noticed just by you know checking all the apps that yeah, they do have a, a similar flavor to them. But when it comes to like how like you know teams teams choosing whether they want to be with Yin's Inscam or not, I think it's on a per franchise basis because ah. not every team. I think it's at like like twenty five or at least it was when I was there, uh, twenty five or so NFL teams use the Inscam. So that was definitely. Yeah, pretty good yeah a a cool majority of teams did but yeah there were some that didn't have an app or they used in-house or they had their own other third party so yeah teams had options but the easiest choice was at least for it seemed at the time was Yinscam so uh so you're with Yinscam
0: for a while and then what what's the next opportunity for you after that
1: Yeah, so after Yinzcan, this is like 2018, I started applying to jobs in Chicago. I was like, you know, Pittsburgh is nice. I didn't think it was my finisher city. I really wanted to go back to Chicago. Um, Friends and family are all over there, because I moved to Pittsburgh not knowing anyone. And I had a good circle there, but there was something I was like, okay, this this is fun. I did it, I went here on my own. I know I can do it, so cool, I can say I did it, and then move back to Chicago. So that was kind of my thought process. I now had a choice of where I wanted to apply, so Chicago was my um, next step. So yeah, I applied to a few companies and landed with a company called ParkWiz, which I would describe as like Spot Heroes, um, like other, it's like the Uber and Lyft, it's like Spot Hero ParkWiz. So ParkWiz was a parking app company that could uh, reserve you a parking spot in a parking garage on your mobile app. So that was something that I worked on uh, after Yinscap, oh,
0: yeah. I, I would imagine that having that experience of how you're able to draw massive reams of data from the uh, from weather, you know, drawing in the reams of data about people offering up these unique spots for parking. It, I mean, it must have been kind of an easy logic behind that. Does that sound kind of like? Does that seem seem logical? What I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would, yeah, really like the day-to-day work it was mostly the same between the jobs. A lot. It's a lot of just like building out views and designing um, user experiences for users. Like, oh, this button's going to press this and it's going to animate, it's going to open this screen. We're going to pull down some data and then we're going to display this data on screen. It's really just a matter of like what you're displaying and what, you know, what endpoint you're going to hit to pull down the data. the The structure of the fundamentals of a mobile app are more or less the same. So that to me was an easy transition. It's just, oh, instead of pulling down data from, you know, a box score of a game, we're pulling down data from a parking operator where it has like locations of all the parking garages in the Chicago area. So yeah, that to me felt like an easy transition.
0: How how do you, you know, because you're dealing with user interface, like how do you stress test these things? Because like it's one thing when you're making it, how do you find different perspectives to make sure that you're really are finding, not necessarily the flaws, but the things that would make things easier for your potential clients and customers? Like, how do you you kind of find fresh ways to look at the experience so that you're always
1: staying fresh in in that regard? Good question, yeah. So we have a, like on my previous companies, we have a full team of uh, designers, like UX designers, UI designers, Uh, I'm taking that control out of my hands. So now I'm not the one who's in charge. Like at these internships, it was kind of mostly a one-man team kind of, you could just kind of make sure this works. That was kind of like the baseline. Now at these other jobs, you have UI designers, UX designers kind of designing for accessibility for all users, like with voiceover, other features that, uh, people wouldn't even be thinking about things that actually, um matter on a grand scale of things when you're working with hundreds of thousands millions of users there's going to be things that uh come up um like you know color blindness for like sports teams or things like that Mm -hmm. um for as an example so there's a lot that goes into it so yeah there's people that get paid full time to work on these things and that's something that as a developer is uh, something that i definitely uh, wasn't thinking about in my internships but into these jobs, it definitely matters. So that to me was something cool to see from uh, working with these companies. So you head back to Chicago, but that wasn't your
0: last uh, stop. So how did you find your way to New York and, and Google?
1: Yeah, so ParkWiz was great until about March 2020, and then everyone kind of wow. just stopped parking their cars. Yeah. That was that was trouble for um, yeah. old Justin. So I got a Google Meet invite or like March 18th, and then it was like, hey, we're going to axe half the company, and you're included. So I was like, great. This is awesome. Uh, yeah, the, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and I got laid off. So that was definitely a sweet reminder that, yeah, th- this, you know, that's life sometimes. That's how it works. So, yeah, that was a nice restart for me uh, around that time. So I started, yeah, back in square one, pretty much, because that was a, a, a nice punch in the gut. Um, cause I was like, all right, I'm good. I got it figured out. I'm good. So I had to basically start over again. So, um, began the applying process to companies everywhere. But, um, this time I was looking towards New York New York was always a cool destination. I've never been to New York, but just, you know, seeing it all over in TV shows, movies, just kind of as a, as a place that was bigger than Chicago, it seemed like a good final destination. So I was like, all right, let's give that a shot. So I was applying to companies in New York, and this was around June 2020, so about three months after I got laid off, got an offer from a company called Braze, which was in New York, but I was able to work remote in Chicago when I got hired. So that was a nice mix of, I'm working for a New York company, so I'll be able to move there when it's safe to, but for the time being, I can still be at home. Or still be in Chicago. So that was a, a great turns out a great silver lining to my situation, knowing that, hey, I got laid off, but this was this is waiting for me three months later. So that now looking back on it worked
0: out. Yeah, I'll say so so then what, what what was the specialty for Braze?
1: So Braze, they are a customer engagement platform. They're in a way, I kind of describe them like Yin's Cam, where there's not like a Braze mobile app they are in, they power a lot of mobile apps where they power push notifications, um, in-app content, other types of personalized content that you'll see in a mobile app. A lot of that is powered by Braze in a way, for example, like if you're looking at a, so like a common example is like if you're in the Etsy app and you put something in your shopping cart, but don't buy it then close the app, like X amount of time later, You'll get like a push notification that says, oh, still, you know, still looking for items like this. Here's 10 more items you might like, like personal personalization in mobile apps. That's where Braze comes in. Uh, I love that power suggestion, right? Those little nudges <laughs> to remind you, Hey, you can buy this. That's great. I like that. Yeah. It, it makes the app feel like it's yours and not just, yeah. oh, user 1000. So you're like, oh, this is for me. So it's a definitely a nice, you know, kind of boost to the mobile app experience. Oh, that's so cool. So then how did you then make the leap to, to Google then? That was, yeah, that was almost like an accident, I guess. Cause I really liked my job at Braze. Love the people I work with. Great company. It was booming. Still is. It was uh, a great, uh, great work structure. But for me, Google was like, you know, I was like those top four, like all those fan companies that is just like the pinnacle as far as software engineering goes. So I was just in my room one night just on LinkedIn Just on the jobs tab, just like perusing, seeing what's out there. Just because, you know, you just have to see what's out there. And then I was like, okay, Google, this was, um, this, this looks cool. So, um, uh, and the job title was developer relations engineer, where at Braze, my job title was forward deployed software engineer, which is more or less the same thing. So at Braze, I was talking to customers, helping them integrate this Braze product into their mobile apps, making sure they do it correctly and making sure they set themselves up for long-term success. So the job that I was doing at Braze matched a lot of what the job description was asking for at Google. So I was like, okay, this kind of seems like my wheelhouse. So I applied to that job in December, 2021. And then, oh, actually, this is a funny story that I reached out to my friend who I used to work with at the Chicago company, uh, undertone. He was a, he was on my team at undertone. He worked at, and then he years later got a job at Google. So I let him know that, Hey, I applied to Google and he's like, wait, 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 let me refer you. So he referred me and immediately got the interview. And then I say immediately, but the whole process took three months. So I applied in December. Uh, yeah, immediately got the interview and then the whole process took three months and then got the offer in March 2022. And then obviously I was not going to say no to that. So um, and then, yeah, that was the end of that story.
0: What's what's the interview process for a company like Google? Is it different than any of the other ones? Because, I mean, as you said, like, this is a very this is a plum destination for a lot of people, regardless of if they're in tech or if they're in marketing. Google is a place where a lot of people want to to go to what was it a different application process in terms or interview process than any of the other places that you went to
1: um I would say there was more steps but it's more or less the same it was a lot of here's here's a question can you code it here's an hour you have an hour to code it up so it was pretty similar to um other interviews that I had except these questions were interview were interview questions that I could not find on the internet where a lot of these interview questions, I was applying for other companies. You can go on Glassdoor, you can go on LeetCode, Code, you can find all these questions that have been asked before because there's only so many questions that can be asked, uh, more or less. There's always new ones. But yeah, there's definitely a pattern that you can catch on to when you're applying to these companies. When it came to Google, there was basically like a black box. There was no, there was no, like, just, there's basically just like, know your stuff and then just hope for the best. So that was kind of, I just had to practice, practice, practice doing coding questions. And then when the day came, it was a, at the time this was virtual interview. So it was typing on a laptop instead of like writing on a whiteboard, which is much more difficult. So, yeah, at least I felt comfortable, I felt as comfortable as I could as far as the Google interview process goes. So that was, yeah, apparently the sun was shining on that day for me because I didn't think it went well, but uh, yeah, I'm glad it did enough to at least, you know give me a wow, next round and just, yeah just
0: like here's the problem and they give an hour to do they watch you work through it like is that even like seeing the heuristic or the process is that also part of their evaluation of you to see how you approach it in during the, the, oh, absolutely. the interaction yeah that's got to be interesting
1: Yeah, they want to see how you think. Yeah, they definitely, like, a a tip that I'll give for, you know, people trying to interview for coding interviews is don't jump into the code right away. You definitely need to ask baseline questions. You need to establish the the worlds that you'll be coding. Like, oh, like how, like, what's the max and min? Like, can you do negative? Just, like, got to find all these edge cases and squash them out so you can identify that, okay, this is the world that we're working with. Now I'm going to code this up. And then, then you can start to code it up. So sometimes I'm not even looking for a solution. Um, I guess the criteria always varies, but yeah, sometimes that seeing how you think is almost as, as important as um, actually like coding a solution.
0: So what's a typical day of work like for you? Do, do you how do you plan out your day, week, month, or year? Like, like because I, I imagine you have so many different projects. You're spending so many plates. How do you, how do you engage uh, to kind of best make use of your time and how does the work find you or do you kind of search out and find it?
1: Yeah. So good question. A little bit of both. So we plan our work by the quarter. So we do this four times a year. We have like H1 and H2 meetings or we plan out like the half year. And then from there we plan out the quarter. So we'll do, yeah, four chunks of work. And for me, there's not really a lot of carryovers. So, what when the work gets done in like Q1, we'll start planning for Q2 around like two weeks before the end of the first quarter. And a lot of that is, um, there's a lot of work in like technical debt that needs to be done. So, I got hired on in April 2022. And one thing that I said I want to do was build a Swift UI app. And that was something that was in this list of tech debt and they said, Hey, you want to build this? Go for it. Here's something that you can build. So that was something that was my way to get my foot in the door for in terms of, uh, what work that needed to be done. And then from there, it was building on that, responding to feedback from that and kind of expanding my reach in terms of products. So to give you more background, I'm on the ads team at Google, specifically mobile ads. So that is, uh, Something that is always a moving target in terms of what needs to be done and uh, how it needs to be done, because with a lot of user privacy that's happening, this it also adds another layer of how can we make sure that publishers are doing this correctly. So it's a lot of a lot of work to make sure that I have enough on my plate for each quarter. But really, it just kind of speaks for itself for how much uh, or like how much. That's another layer
0: maybe that you had to draw in there, which is like you, if you think that you have to do something, you have to bring in probably legal, right? To say, is this, uh, is this something that lives with that? So yeah, I could see that. Interesting. Yep. So the one thing that I, that has obviously just blown up probably since the time that you've been at at Google has been the more uh, aggressive use of artificial intelligence is that something that you implement in your work, and is it and, and does it make it easier? Or are you concerned, or what's what's the 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 next kind of
1: like uh, layer uh, of that as it applies to your job? Yeah, when it comes to AI, so we have Bard, which is Google's AI tool. That's something that is not too prevalent in what I do. There is some cases where actually, like this week, I'm writing a script for a YouTube video that we plan on publishing soon. And in the script, where there's like little tweaks, little nitpicks that we can kind of choose, like how we want to present this content. And in Google docs, this is where we're writing all this content. There's like an assistant that says use BART or like use, you know, use AI to help you write this out. So there's cases where I'm like, I want to shorten this. I want like, this is too wordy. I want this to be shortened. And then I will have Bard take that and fine tune it in a way that I can pick, like I can take what Bard is offering me and then apply it and then make it actually uh, more applicable to what I'm thinking of saying. So it definitely is like a team effort in that regard. But yeah, from my point of view, it's um, definitely helpful in my line of work. So me, I'm all for it. That's that's uh, it's
0: interesting to see how I, mean, I think everyone's seeing like a, a an adjustment uh, considerable in, in everything that we do with that so and sometimes it's a great tool and sometimes it's something that you can um, you want to kind of press the brakes on for sure yeah so um, uh, does does your does your job uh, require any uh, travel not uh,
1: at the moment there. Actually, no, not, not Google. No, in my previous jobs, uh, there would be travel at Google. No, that's not really so. Like, when it comes to travel, like the thought process is that's not the most scalable approach of doing like one on one team, um, like face to face meetings. It's a lot of how can we, so a lot of my work is in the documentation. So the thought process is if a if like one person has an issue with this, we need to fix the documentation or we need to fix the code because that will affect everybody. Where if there's one particular issue that one publisher is having, we take note of that and then we think how can we fix this for other publishers so this doesn't happen again. There's cases where I'll hop on calls of publishers, but yeah, like in this climate, it's so much easier just to do a remote call than actually travel. So for me, it makes my life easier that I don't have to travel, but Um, yeah, you know, it'd be nice to travel, go see places, but yeah, that's just not, uh, in in this environment, that's not something that Google's, uh, prioritizing at the moment. Uh, let me ask you a a question as a New
0: Yorker. Where, where, where do you live in New York? So I live in Manhattan, specifically in Hell's Kitchen. Now, what is your favorite thing about being in New York? Like, cause I mean, a lot of people imagine like, okay, well, you've been in Pittsburgh, you lived
1: in Chicago and New York. Uh, what's the best thing about being in New York? Yeah, for me it's the accessibility. I don't have a car, I don't need a car, I can get to like the the an outstanding Italian restaurant, an outstanding an outstanding Thai food restaurant. There's so many options all within twenty minutes of me. I can just walk outside my street, close my eyes, spin in a circle, point some direction, and I'm just gonna go that way. And then by the end of my block, there's something that i can go to and it's outstanding so for me it's the accessibility to the the great cuisine and just the ability to go see like a concert or a show or a broadway play so that to me is just what new york has to offer is is it's what i'm looking for so for me i've been here two and a half years and it hasn't got old i feel like i've done a lot and barely scratched the surface at the same time so for me this is it's it's perfect
0: I love that. It's so true. Those are exciting times to be in in cities like that, where you have that level of exposure of so much food and culture. It's just the best. It's so great. That's the thing. Yeah, it's great. Ah, so great. Well, Justin, this has been so great. Uh, I've learned so much about uh, your career, and I always like ending the interview with uh, tips for success that you could give
1: current Wildcats. What would you tell them? Let's see. When it comes to success, I would say so. I guess I got a few things. First thing is fail a lot. Please fail. It, it's where you learn the most. I feel like there's not like good ideas and bad ideas. There's there's good ideas and ideas that you learn from. So I, I feel like just you know trying to learn as much as you can, and the best way to learn is to fail. So don't be afraid of failing. That that's really where you get the most growth. So that's something that I encourage people to do. Don't be comfortable. Doing something that you're good at. If you're if you're good at it, try something new and try sucking at something. I, I feel like that's um, just a really cool experience, just to get, just to take yourself out of your comfort zone. Really cool experience and something that should always be something that you try to do no matter how old you get. Uh, fail fast is, it kind of along that same vein where if, if like for me when it came to pivoting from film to weather to software. I had to figure that out pretty quickly. Like it took me a semester to switch from film to weather. So that was something where if you realize it's not going great, sometimes you you just have to admit it and like you gotta humble yourself, swallow your pride, like, all right, this sucks, I suck, let's change it up. How do we how do I how do I get better? So that's where you have to fail fast and just, you know, kind of take yourself out of that situation and try and better yourself in any way you can. Which um, I guess brings me to my last point is try and make yourself better than you were yesterday. So that's something where um, for me, I'm a competitor, a very competitive person. So I just try and like, okay, how do I beat what I did yesterday? And that can be, you know, um, anything, any anything that you did uh, or any way that you're trying to better yourself it doesn't have to be like immediate results. Like, oh yeah, I did one push up today. I have to do two tomorrow. It, it could be like long-term results too. So as long as you're trying to get to that, goal that you set for yourself, you're bettering yourself. So for me, um, yeah, that, those are my like, I guess you could say, three, my three keys for success. Yeah. Well, Justin,
0: thank you so much. This was great and uh really excited for all that you're doing and uh this was uh this is great to learn everything that you're doing. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I was
1: glad to share my story. I appreciate the time for today. Thanks for listening. Do us a favor
0: and spread the word about we go places by sharing our interviews with other Wildcats. If you want to search past episodes or stay current, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere where you can get your podcasts. Just search We Go Places. You can follow We Go Places on our Facebook page as well, and also Twitter at We Go Places Podcast. And if you know a former Wildcat who would be a great guest, send me a direct message on Facebook, Twitter, or by school email at, at B Turnbaugh at d94 dot B T U R N B A U G H at d 94org